All right. You guys ready for the word? I do have something today. I do have something that's on my heart, but I'm going to have to kind of work my way there. Is that okay? So don't, don't get lost in the first 10, 15 minutes. Focus, because it's all going to make sense, and I'm going to try to conclude it with a big ending. Yes? yes. All right. So um, it might get a little bit heady and theological, but just stay with me. Uh, I think it'll make sense. It's something in my heart, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to share this with you this week. All right. You guys turn to Acts 2, verse 37. I'm just going to read a couple passages, and then I'm going to go. Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? This is right after the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell uh, upon a group of disciples that were in the upper room and they were praying and waiting for the consummation of what Jesus promised. He said, I will ascend and I will send the Holy Spirit. And this was the time. And then Peter prayed and preached and people were speaking in tongues and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit uh, was very evident. Um, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received the word were baptized that day and were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them, sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I just wanted to um, read that passage because it is the source code. You guys know the source code? Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah. It's it's the it's the uh, original DNA. It's the it's the original source. The the very the pure church that was. Uh, birth through Pentecost. And we see that manifest here. And now you see in this passage, the Holy Spirit fell. Tongues of fire. And it's, it's just symbolism. Tongues of fire. That word, um, that imagery, tongues coming down from fire. But that word for tongue is very similar to hand in the Hebrew. 
And this is what my rabbi friend taught me. And then he said that word tongue is similar to the word hand and the finger of God that wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And that tongue, tongues of fire, is kind of like symbolic of like the hand of God coming and they're speaking in tongues. But now the, the commandments of God are written on their hearts that have turned from stone to flesh. So it's no longer uh, following precepts from the outward is now now people are motivated from within that's the spirit of god and religion occurs when people are making religion is when people are guilting or shaming people into following precepts and not more concerned about the holy spirit consuming their hearts and and the spirit of god writing the commandments in their hearts so we can't force people to do things that are not written yet. It's, it's a progress. I was just talking to somebody this week and telling them how I got, gave my life to Jesus and I was like partying, but then I gave my life totally to God and I had an encounter with Jesus and I was the only one that came up to the altar in a group of 400 young people and I was the only one and people actually gasped because I had like a reputation. You could hear the... <gasps> Like, who's this guy? Why? And then I came, and I'm the only one crying at the altar by myself. And I said, this is the best sermon ever. Nobody's coming. It's just me. I'm just crying. And then people actually came up to me after the service and said, man, you shouldn't be drinking here because they saw my eyes were all red. You can't come to church drunk. And I'm like, and I wasn't offended at all. Usually I would be like, let's go outside. But no, um, I, was, I came home. And I was just so happy. But, you know, I was telling him, yeah, I still smoked. I still went out drinking because it wasn't written on my I wasn't convicted yet. Do you, do you understand? It wasn't, I wasn't, and my wife's like, you got to stop, my girlfriend, she's like, you got to stop smoking. How are you going to be a pastor smoking? I'm like, I could do it. She's <laughs> like, where's it saying in the Bible? I can't smoke. And she says, it's not for like, it's for your health. And I'm like, I'm not convicted yet. But one day I got convicted. How many guys know condemnation, um, causes you to run away from God. Yeah. Conviction causes you to run towards God. Yeah. And that's how you know the difference. Whenever you feel like you shame and guilt and you start running away and you're hiding, that's, that's not God. That's the devil. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, but when you're, when you're convicted, you feel, you, it's, it's calling to a higher identity. Is this who you are? This is... Hey, man, don't leave that behind. There's a higher calling for you. And whenever I've transformed this, because I saw a vision of myself that's greater than who I am now. And the Lord showed me. He's like, he just gently he gave me a vision. I was like praying, and I saw a vision of myself after this great sermon, and people were just excited. I was outside greeting people, and I was having a smoke. <laughs> I was like having a smoke, and people were coming outside, and I was like shaking hands. And then he just gently, he just gave me this vivid picture. And I said, That's, that doesn't seem right. And I told the Lord, I said, I need to stop. And I can't do it on my own. So you need to help me. The very next day, I started coughing. Guys, no, I've been chain, at that point, I've been chain smoking for about seven years. You guys know what chain smoking is? Oh, yeah. Nonstop, just <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> Rather smoke than drink. Rather smoke than eat, because if you eat, then you have to smoke. So I have no money as a university. I'll rather just chain smoking. And then 
Yes. I started spitting out like black stuff next morning. And I was like, what is this? And then immediately, the Lord said, you're delivered. And my roommates were smoking, and I went out. And usually, I'd be like tempted, can give me a... And I said, don't smoke in the house, man. That's the first thing I said. And then my roommate was like, what? <laughs> Are you talking about? Do you not remember what we did yesterday? <laughs> I'm like, it's just, oh, I feel nauseated. Since the age of 20, 21 and a half, uh, I'm 53 this year. So 32 years, I feel nauseated when I smell smoke. Do you understand? It's not even a temptation. The Lord can deliver us. How many guys believe in the power of God? And it just causes, it just, we just need conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, writing his, the word in our hearts. Amen? That wasn't my sermon. That was bonus, guys. That was bonus. Um, I was I just really focused on how uh, there was fire, manifestation. People were like speaking in tongues. This great like witness to the Gentile nations. People, all all people, all tribes were speaking. Um, and then Peter starts to preach. See in this passage, they started devoting some, themselves to apostles' teaching, and you start to see order and structure. And something in my heart, kind of like, is I've been I've been messing around with it for a while, but um, you know, it's just kind of the Holy Spirit just kind of it gets aggravated when I hear people say, "I don't need to go to church because I got YouTube." How many guys know listening to a sermon on YouTube is not going to church? And by the way, if you go to church and it's not really a community of God, you're not really participating in the church of Christ either. There's a source code. There's an original DNA and design that God has created, and he will not meander from that. It's throughout church history, throughout the Bible. Anytime there's like a... There's a power and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Eventually, God will start to put order in it because he will not abandon his church. He, he will not because the, the Bible starts with community and ends with the bride of Christ. That is the consummation of whole, all things. God will not abandon his bride. We are the bride of Christ. Amen? Amen. And the bride of Christ is... So in Revelation 19 to 21, you see the bride of Christ coming down from heaven at the end of days, ready for Jesus, the groom. He's just waiting. It's like a wedding. That's what a wedding is. It's a reflection of what's going to happen at the end of days. The Father God, Jesus, and the bride coming. That is the end of days. That is the beautified church coming. How many guys know the church, the true church of God, will always be beautified? And it, it will not disintegrate like the world says. He will not be destroyed like the world says. How many guys know the church of Jesus Christ, the true invisible church of God that are following him with all their hearts, true friends of God, that bride will continuously grow and be adorned and beautified until the end of days. Amen? Amen? 
So we cannot abandon the church. I have some people, former members of mine, that says, you know, I'm just going to gather. We're going to call it this church. And I said, there, yeah, you can gather as a church in a small, I can gather as a group in a small group, but then there's no order. There needs to be structure that God has ordained, and we cannot move away from that. Why? Because in Revelation 19, you see the bride coming. And then it suddenly it changes into a city. And the city that says, it says it becomes a perfect cube. And the perfect cube is in the Old Testament. The only cube in the Old Testament is in the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwells. The temple was built like a rectangle. And the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. The bride of Christ is the dwelling place of God. And the whole city will be transformed. Because in the new city, new Jerusalem, it's, a, it's just talking about the world. There will be no more these pockets or temples and churches. It will be the whole city will be the dwelling place of God. And that's what a church is. We are not just a community that's gathered to hang out. We are gathered to be missional, to go out into the world and to spread the presence of God throughout the ends of the earth. That's what we have to be intentional in building this community. You guys following what I'm saying? You know, some, church, some people, some Christians build the tracks. They build the track. You know, like train tracks? They work hard all their lives. Existence of the church is building tracks, studying the word, and just telling everybody, this is where we should go. We should go. We should. And then this is like, they, they kind of know the pathway. They know the word, and they know everything. They know what to do. You guys following me? So you have a track, but no, no caboose. And the caboose needs, I'm talking about old, I'm not talking about these electric sky trains with a little electric. I'm talking about the old time where they, you need fuel, like coal. So you have a picture here of what God intended. We're supposed to have a track, but we've got to get on it, and we've got to go somewhere. But to go somewhere, and a lot of people are working. Some churches work hard, and they want to get there, and they're just trying to manually go, and they get burnt out. But we need to fuel it with the coal of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God. Because that's what's going to make us go and not burn out. But we need to go because we're called to enculturate another culture. That's why Joshua and Caleb could not enter the promised land. Because it wasn't just about overcoming the enemy. It's about creating a culture within a culture. A culture cannot be overcome by just a couple people. A new culture has to arise. A new generation, a new people has to come to an, a different culture and has, there has to be a battle of cultures. So if a church is not battling and is assimilated to culture, it's not really the church of Christ. Because the true church of Christ will always be in battle with the culture of the world. That was a good, 
If you want to assimilate to the world and just get along and do a kumbaya, everything, everybody kumbaya, hold hands, and let's just all get along, uh, you're actually, uh, you really have to question what side you're on. For as long as you exist on this planet throughout church history, you will know that the true church of Christ was always persecuted because the enemy also knows what is a true church. Hallelujah. So when you feel attacked and the church is being attacked and you're, you always feel like you're constantly going uphill, that's good news. Can somebody say that's good news? That's like me, a, med- a battle of honor, like a badge of honor in my heart. Like if I'm being opposed and there's like, I feel like, why, why can't I just compromise in this? Why can't I just compromise with this? And there's like a struggle. It would be so much easier if I just went along with the popular beliefs and pseudo-theology and all those ideas and political thoughts and being politically correct, all that. If it's just so easy, you'll just be so easy. How many of you guys know being a Christian is not that easy? Amen? Every time the power of God comes and it starts to do something, order happens. And there's a structure. And I want to preach on this for the next few weeks, even at the retreat. Because I feel like we're ready to form that structure that's going to change culture. Because what are we doing here? Just gathering? I'm here, my wife and I are here to build sons and daughters of God, big people, Joshua's and Caleb's, a community of people that's going to change the city. I want people to come into this place and see a glimpse of heaven. I don't want people to come into this place and go, it looks like just any other community or just a group of people, a bunch of Asians and Sprinkle other colors. And, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, just like another Vancouver majority Asian people. And, uh, what are we doing here? I'm here to empower you to be a force of nature that's going to awaken people to a new way of living. Yeah. That's church. That's kingdom culture. We're the ecclesia, we're the assembly, we are the legislators in the spiritual realm. We get to decide what happens in a region. What what is wrong with Vancouver is because the churches don't gather and we don't understand our identity as a body of Christ and we legislate. We got more authority than the enemy. But we we just think, oh no, no. What are we doing here? We just ate some barbecues and retreats and all that and, and some fellowships and small groups and we share our hearts and all those things are good but there's something beyond that we do that because there's something beyond that we're the ecclesia we're the, we're the embassy of heaven when you go to church it should, you sh- it should look like heaven somehow and there's no perfect and there's mistakes but we should always be aligning to that vision uh, that's not heaven-like. And we got to adjust. We got to change the culture in this place so that we can change the culture out there. We got to change the culture here. 
That's why you guys are like, oh, why does he always make, our hand, make us raise our hands every Sunday? It's because I'm trying, I teach culture in university, so I should know this stuff. Culture is a set of beliefs that you, set of values and belief that you practice. Practice comes from belief. Now, a lot of people just practice and they don't know their beliefs, but it, the practice comes from some belief. Like if Asians go to the ancestor's grave and they bow and bring food to the ancestor, it's from a belief that the ancestors are watching over you and they're going to punish you for not honoring them. It's a belief. That's why I refuse to do any of that kind of stuff because it's a belief. I go, I don't believe that, so why should I practice that? But we practice what we believe. So I'm trying to make you practice things to remind yourself of what you believe. You practice worship here because we're telling each other, I believe in Jesus. How can you not practice what you believe? How can you not practice what you say you value? I don't know why I'm getting all riled up. We set up beliefs and rituals. He just... Culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's a business saying. Culture is king. Jesus is king, but culture eats strategy for breakfast. You can have all the strategies and principles you want, but a culture, if the culture is not right, the culture will overtake those strategies anytime. You can write a, write a set of principles that you want done in your organization, but if the, if the culture is not right and the beliefs are not cemented and there's no underlying beliefs that really, that are like, deeply embedded in the leadership of the church, it will not fly. Amen? When I went to move to Toronto as an eight-year-old immigrant, um, I didn't know anything about hockey. You guys know hockey? Vancouver Canucks are doing well, but they're, they're, that's my second... Second love, my first, I have two loves. My first love is the Maple Leafs. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> because I went to Toronto and I, I <laughs> you know what? Who said, I'm going to wear my, la- <laughs> next week I'm going to wear my Maple Leaf jersey. Yeah, when I, I used to play hockey with my friends, <laughs> I wore my Maple Leaf jersey. I got booed every time in the locker room. Boo! It's Vancouverites. So somebody bought me a Canucks jersey. And I'm like, I'm not going to wear that. Come on, guys. Hockey. I went to school, and everybody brought their skates in wintertime. With their stick, and I was like, what's going on here? He goes, oh, we play during lunch and after school. This is what we do. I said, in Korea, uh, I didn't speak English very well. In Korea, we play soccer. And then, no, no, we don't do that here because there's snow. And we play hockey. And so, how do you play hockey? You have to put on skates. I don't have skates, so you better get one. I don't know how to, I don't know how to skate, you better learn. So I got my dad, because I wanted friends. How many of you guys know friendship is important? <laughs> I wanted friends, so I got my dad to buy me an old pair of skates, a used place. It was really terrible, but it was good, because I learned how to skate on an old pair, and then I could... So I went to the hockey rink, like I paid for... You know, like those free skates? I was like ankle biting. <laughs> Every Saturday for like three hours, I would just practice. 
That's how motivated I am. I wanted friends. I'm an only child. I was motivated until I could skate enough, and I got my dad to buy me some used, like, wooden sticks. And then I just, like, learned how to tape. My friends had taught me, and I played hockey. And I became a lover of the hockey, maple leaves. My first skates were like Boyos Armings skates. You got to even know who that is. Culture elevated me to a level of behavior that was prevalent in that culture. See, you, somebody, people ask me, like, how, how, is this tra- how does transformation happen in, in this church, in this culture? It's because they get enculturated. People come in here, and then they see a glimpse of heaven, and they get like, wow. And it's not just about making friends. It's about becoming friends with Jesus, and I'm going to talk about that a little later. And when they see people who are truly intimate and friends with Jesus, they'll want that too. Because the bride becomes the cube, and cube is like a structure. And all structure and organization comes from intimacy. People are like, that's deep, Steve. No, I was actually at a conference, and then a bunch of leaders were, were questioning Bill Johnson, and some, you guys know who it is, some leaders of Bethel. And then so I, I decided to be smart, and I asked a question. Actually, that question got me all these people coming after me after that question, like, whoa, do you teach that stuff? And I'm like, I was talking about organizational stuff, and I asked him, because it's like a leadership question. And then Bill Johnson, at the end, there was all these people answered the question, and they were trying to give me an answer. Bill Johnson just said this, the bride, the cube, the city. And I was like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, we're on the same mind, but he says something like this, all structure, the cube, rises from intimacy. It's like, wow, that's deep. And I just sat down like thinking about it. That's deep. That's what we want. We want a culture, a community of people that are so enraptured in who they are and who they love. And because they know who they are and who they love, they try to treat each other in their identity, and they start to love each other because they are filled with the love of Christ. You guys want to go to church like that? That is our dream. Though it's going to be perfected, it won't be perfect next week. And if you have people who are like offending you, that's all part of the deal. (laughs) Amen? Because we're, we're, people forget about the making. Go and make. We forget about the making. It's a process. And church also itself, God is making this church. He's making this community. It's a process. So we, you, can't, you can't be so judgmental and go, I thought we were heaven. <laughs> the guy offended me and said something stupid. I'm not coming to this church anymore. It just, it just proves my point. You didn't understand the whole concept. Because they devoted themselves, Acts 2 says. And devotion is a commitment. It's like they hooked, the word is hooking themselves onto each other. They hook themselves. It's like a hook. And I know that's a bad picture. They're like they, you guys know what I mean. They dedicate it. They, it's not easily let go. It's like a fish on a hook. 
you can't really untangle it unless you vigorously say, I don't want to be at this church now. Okay, then you really don't want to be here. You can go. But you can't easily wiggle yourself out. That's what it means. Community is, is the people who are co- covenanted together. It's not, it's, not, it's not a place where you just check out. Although you become a, you become a community, you got to first check it out. Amen? You got to start, you got to first have that coffee date before you start going, hey, let's get married. <laughs> Although I counseled one guy and then he was like, I'm going to marry that girl next week. She doesn't even know that you like her yet. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? They did get married, thank God. A year later, yes. That's a whole nother story. I just, uh, so anybody who wants to get married, come and talk to me. I've had, I have a track record of getting people changing their minds. Because this guy said, I don't, I don't see anybody. I don't, I don't think there's anybody for me. And I said, who do you want to marry? I said, he wants to marry a Christian girl. Like, I said, really? You have a whole list. What is the most important? A Christian girl. Are you sure? He said, yes, I'm so sure. Why keep asking me? Because if you're so sure, and that's the most important thing, there's a bunch of, our church was pretty big back then, there's a whole bunch of people worshiping every Sunday. Just look at the girl that comes every Sunday early, gets her spot at the front. Because our old church, we had a mosh pit. The girl was sitting there because she she always wanted to set her spot. And she said, consistently for a year and a half, who's the girl that's been worshiping Jesus consistently with integrity? For the past year and a half. He goes, I know who it is. I said, well, you said you want to marry a Christian girl. He texted me that day. He said, should I ask her to marry me? No. What you should do is you should go on a coffee date first. And after that, how long? I'm like, I don't know, man. Just take it slow. He was so excited. I found the girl. They did get married. Very happy. How many guys know Christian culture is not kingdom culture all the time? And sometimes Christian music is not always kingdom music. Just because it comes from Christian doesn't mean it's biblical. Christian language is not kingdom language. I still remember the first time. You guys okay if I just share some stories? Yeah. I still remember the first time my mentor said, let's get a, gather together and uh, let's pray. And then I said, Steve, why don't you pay? And then I just became a Christian, you know, chain smoking and drinking. And so I just went to seminary. And then I got a bunch of youth pastors and college pastors there, and they were, like, using these fancy words like justification and sanctification and holy God. And I think they, like, wrote down their prayers because it seems so good. It seems so professional and articulate. And I felt intimidated and said, Steve, why don't you pray? And I, I tried to do my best, but I, was, I didn't know how to. I just, saw, I just talked to God. I said, God, like, you know, like, you're really good. I like, I like you. I'm getting to know you. And I'm really happy I'm in this group with a bunch of guys. And I'm happy. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm good. And then... And then the other, other seminary guys were looking at me like, oh, this guy's a new Christian. 
My friend actually told me that. <laughs> you know that Jimmy, who was like a worship leader that came? He said, yeah, when I first met you, I knew you you're green behind. You just got saved or something. Because <laughs> your prayer was like whack. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know. And then I started to get more fancy. I wanted to prove myself. Justification and sanctification. The glory of God come down. And, and all, that, all that jazz. And nobody understood what I was saying. <laughs> Um, how many of you guys know <laughs> your words don't necessarily reveal intimacy, it's your actions. Amen. You can say I love you all you want, but show me your actions. My, I could tell my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I really do. No, it's the actions, it's the doing the dishes. <laughs> when she walks by the kitchen and goes, just looks at it. I've been married 30 years, I know. When she gives me a look, she's not telling me with a guilty, like, <laughs> she's not doing that. She just walks by and she just kind of looks at the garbage because it smells. Or she looks at the compost and she goes, hmm, and she walks by. That's my cue. If I, I truly love and serve her, I'm like, that's my cue. Not tomorrow, right then, right then. Take it out right then. Do the dishes right then. You see my wife? Practicing keyboard, she was like practicing yesterday, and then she, she started doing the dishes. That's my cue. She's hard, she's like stressed out about being on the team tomorrow, and then I just said, honey, I got this. That's love. Because true intimacy with God is not just always asking God, do this for me, do this for me. That's very transactional. True intimacy, if you're truly a friend of God, it's like, what is on your heart? Jesus what would you like? That's friendship. We want people to be shocked when they come into this place. You know, culture shock. Amen? My kids went to Korea and they were in shock. <gasps> so many Koreans. <laughs> That's what my daughter actually said. Like, why are there so many Koreans here? Because <laughs> it's, it's Korea. Why? How come there's no Canadians like me? Did you not know that you're Korean? Look in the mirror. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm Korean, yeah. They, they actually had culture shock. My wife, too, she's like, oh, my gosh. That's the first time she went to Korea at the age of 40-something, and she's like, I don't like Korea. It's just so crowded. Ooh. People are always bumping into you. That's just, she got a culture shock. But I was like used to it. I mean, I grew up in Korea eight years. I was so used to it. And people bumped me. I bumped them back. It's just <laughs> part of the culture. They bumped me. I'm like, All right? I like, I like flex. Walking in the subway, I just flex. I was a lot bigger back then. And then people come bump me and they're like, Oh, what's going on? <laughs> Anyone's hill? Anyone's hill? It's culture shock. I want people to come in here and be shocked by the level of intimacy that people have with the Lord. Amen. And they devoted some, themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's not just about, it's not, it's not like too bad the church has become a system of education. Like you come here, you learn something, you take some notes. No, it's actual discipleship. 
the teaching was didache, which is actually a set of teachings where you were discipled and molded. They understood how to make people into kingdom, kingdom-valued world changers because Jesus did the exact same with them. We're here to be incubators of royalty. When I, when I preach these things, I know I'm doing a good job. You know why? You guys okay? Yeah. I, know I'm, I, I know the Lord is patting me on the back. You know why? Because the more I preach, every just, I don't know how many years, it's two, I don't know, when did we start? I don't know. We're preaching. I'm preaching a lot of the similar thing. I just keep drilling it into you. Uh, in the beginning, you guys were like looking at me like this. Amen? <laughs> we don't do that. We never did that in our old church. What does that mean anyway? I have to keep teaching you guys. Raise your hands. <laughs> That's all Move around. All right. All right. Say hello to somebody. Hey. <laughs> I know I'm doing a good job because I, you're being... In, our culture is changing because now I say something, I, I hear, mmm, mm, I'm like, yes, things are changing. <laughs> it's not just because of the preaching. It's because we, we're setting up a system of, of, of teaching, of discipleship. All the things that we're doing in this church, the most important thing is not to build a big building or grow in numbers that has no fruit. We're growing kingdom people. And that takes cultivation. I don't want to, we're not an assembly line, a bunch of Chinese made like same thing all the time. I just easily make it really fast. And I'm afraid sometimes churches are like that. This is bring people in, entertain them. Come on, bring them in. You got to grow in numbers. It's just puffed up. It's like people on steroids. It's just, they're just bloated. It takes cultivation. That's why it takes time to build a church. It takes time to build a people. It takes a lot of patience. <laughs> it's, like, it's like raising children. It takes a lot of patience. <laughs> and my wife had more patience than I did. Oh, I had to apologize to my son many, many times because of my impatience. a lot of patience. Incubating, you know, when my daughter was premature, three weeks, and she was an incubator in Burnaby Hospital. It was, it was nice in a sense because we thought she was, <laughs> she was so calm, never cried. And I thought, wow, it's because she was so little, she had no energy. Once we brought her home, it's like, ah! I mean, what happened? What happened? What happened to this <laughs> You know, incubator, but the incubator, she had every nutrient she needed to strengthen. And it took everything in me to be patient for those three weeks just to watch her. Just, just, when, when? She's just growing, incubated. It takes time for you to understand what it means to not just call upon the Lord your God, but call upon God as your Father and Father as Abba. My father, my dad. Amen? Amen. And we don't want to just have my father and my dad. We want to be friends. 
with God. John 15, it says, this is no one greater than a friend who lays down their life. Friend. Truly attached to the vine. A friend. Because a true friend of God will take discipline and correction by their friend. That's what pruning means. When a branch keeps growing and there bears no fruit, the gardener comes and cuts it at the point where there was no of the last fruit. You guys understanding what I'm saying? And then the branches keep growing and then it grows without fruit and you have to cut it so that it grows more properly and more fruit will come. Just a true friend of God understands the pruning process and the disciplining, the discipleship. You, you receive correction because you have no more shame. You have conviction to rise up to your identity. I want that correction because I know who I am and I need that because I'm, I'm acting less than who I am. And I don't want to just keep growing with no, branch, no fruit and you'll just, the branches will just drag on the ground and eventually the branch will have to be cut off from the source to grow a new branch. Amen? Amen. I just want to read this last passage. I hope you guys are getting what I'm trying to say. Ephesians 3, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. How many guys know you guys are saints? So stop calling each other sinners. You're a sinner. Well, you sin because you forgot you're a saint. How many guys know that's the root of most sin? Because you don't know who you are. The sanctification process happens. The more you understand who you are, all those desires and temptations become very, very minimal because you have greater desires. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles of prophets and Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And apostles and prophets, I don't want to go deeply into it, but apostles was like a, actually a Greek and Roman term of generals that had envoys of ships that would go into a new land and they would create kind of an ecclesia, a church. But it's not the church, but the, that's what Jesus and Paul used as uh, the church. But it's like you go into a new region and you enculturate that region. So Rome would go into Africa and make Africa like Rome. And then he was led by an apostle. And so Paul is using that term, Ephesians 4. It's some who gave, it is he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's the order and structure of the church. And the apostles, and when there's no apostles like the first 12, but there's been apostles throughout history because it's just a generic term of leaders that would create, a, create their enculturators. True apostles are people who, are, who have a heart to change the culture of the region like that of the mother nation, and our mother nation is heaven. You guys, you guys understand? But it says on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So I just wanted to show you a picture of something. See, the... See, this is the original 
like this is what the world will say is a kind of a structure of most organizations, leaders and followers. Leaders tell you what to do and followers do what the leaders say. Yes? Yeah. It's very hierarchical and top-down. And then, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, run organizations and churches, even churches like this. And I probably made the mistake of doing the exact same thing as a young pastor. But biblically, this is the model. The next picture. You guys, you guys like my artwork? <laughs> Can you see it? See, it's, it's upside down. It's no longer top down, it's bottom up. And see, it's like, it creates the tree of life. And it creates fruit that will be uh, sent out beyond this organization. And the ground is the leadership, the foundation, and is rooted in Jesus Christ. That's the organization of church. That's the holy structure that God is longing for. See, the power of God is demonstrated so that we long for the organization of God. Do you understand? True leaders of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, true leaders that are supposed to lead the church, uh, they're the foundations. When you came into church today, this building, um, did you walk around the outside of the church and look at the foundations? Wow, this church has some good foundations. Yeah. It's built strong. Wow, look at Good foundations. Wow. Is that the first thing you notice? The first thing you notice is like, look at the light. Oh, little halogen. Look. Oh, look at the lights. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at the building. It's pretty. It's nice. It's pretty. Oh, we got to change the pews. Oh, you're looking at all the things. Amen? Yes. See, true leaders are the foundations. Eventually, um, when the church is actually strong, the people will not look at the church and go, man, look at your leader, Steve. Wow, look at your leader. Look at your leaders. Uh, um, a true church of Christ, when people come, they'll be like, look at the people. Yes. That's when I know I've done a good job. They'll come and go, look at the Did you see Jake? Did you see Kelly? Did you see, did you see Justin? Did you see these people? Do you see Eden? Wow, look at her change. Look at her do. She went out this week and she was intentionally praying for like what God is speaking to her. And then she messaged us and she said, I went out to my co-workers and I prayed over them. Naturally. Hey, you know, I had a, I had a word from God. And then she spoke and then people were like, hey, that really resonates with me. See, see, when they, see, that's how you attract people to church because it's not, it's not about the leaders, these famous people. How many guys know that's not my heart? It may, have, it may have been my heart when I was 29. Because I had to, God had to check my ego and my little bit of narcissism. How you guys know we have a little bit of narcissism? All of us. Amen? Just as long as it's not pathological. I don't, I don't think I am. I got my wife to keep me in check on that one. My heart is that we'll be hidden eventually. And that eventually we'll die. But the church will prosper because the people are what people see. That 
keeps growing because it's rooted in Jesus. And for that to happen, the leaders have to be rooted in Jesus. And my job for you, if I get getting paid or whatever it is, is so that, hey, I want you to spend time being rooted in Jesus. Most leaders of church have spent so much time doing all these other things, but they forget that their primary job is to become the friend of God. Psalm 103, 7, it says, he made, his, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel, sons and daughters. Moses knew God's ways. Exodus 33, 11, it says, the Lord used to speak Moses, to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Before the Holy Spirit came down, Moses was a friend of God. Deuteronomy 34, so Moses, a servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley. Who buried him? The Lord. Nobody knows where he's buried. He lived 120 years. It's symbolic of he fulfilled his time on the earth. He did everything he's supposed to do, and the Lord honored him by burying him himself. That is my goal. That I would be such a friend of God that Jesus would be the last person I see before I die and I close my eyes and the first person I see when I resurrect from the dead. And that he would say to me, welcome, my friend. Not just a servant, my friend. That is my goal. And I'm trying to, I'm really working hard to build that intimacy with him. Through trial, tribulations, I'm going to keep my trust level Trusting him. He said his eyes were not dim. That word dim is actually disheartened. His heart was not disheartened. And this is actually after Moses got rebuked and said, you can't go into the promised land after 40 years. He's like, what? What? I spent 40 years in the desert and I can't go? I can't go? He's like, Moses, no, because you, you know my ways, but you didn't do what I told you to do. I told you to speak to the rock. We hit the rock. Such a small mistake, Lord. Come on, where's grace? He goes, but you know, I spoke to you as a friend. He made a mistake. But his, ma- his mistake did not disqualify his friendship with Jesus. The Lord said, you made a mistake, but I'm still your friend. And I've been praying and meditating on this. And I know that I'm going to make mistakes in ministry. I'm going to make mistakes in life. But at the end of the day, what do I care more about? At the end of the day, what do you care more about? How you look in front of people, how you performed, how you did ministry, how you served, how you led worship, how you preached, how you did this, and how you, all these things, and you made a mistake. Oh, that's the end of me. Oh, you have suffered some consequences of that. I made some mistakes in my life, but at the end of the day, what do I really care about? As long as the Lord says, you're still my friend. That's what my wife and I are trying to build. People who are true friends of God. And that you become leaders to build more churches, more trees of life, that you will be the foundations from which other things grow 
And then people will not come and go, man, Jacob did all that. He said, no, Jesus did that. And, and they're not even talking about Jacob or Steve or Zachary or Sonia. They're talking about the people and the fruit. Manifestation of God's glory. Did you see what happened there at that community? God showed up. Do you see what's happening to those people? They're changing. Something weird is going. They're changing in a year. They change rapidly. That's why my wife and I were so happy. Because we see in a year people changing. I still remember when Ariel first came to our church. She was a little bit like hesitant. And I don't know anybody here. Somebody told me about this. Great. Then, you know, a little bit. I don't know. Nothing. But she's completely different now. In a year, she's just like, what can I serve? What can I do this? And I never told her to do anything. I'm like, thank you, Ariel. Because, oh, it's my, it's my family. I, th- I asked her last week, Ariel, you do so much at church. You know, it's just, it's okay. She goes, no, why? It's my pleasure. It's my family. I just, and then she's in my discipleship group, so excited. Three hours of listening and questioning. She's like, wow, I'm learning so much. I've changed, I've changed. That's what makes our heart, my wife and I, our hearts leap. Because we know we're on the right track. We're building the caboose. Just keep putting coal in there by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go. Amen? Let's stand. some new people here but just, just kind of oblige me if you feel like this is your church this is your family this is your community just lift up your hands this is something you're dedicating yourself to it's going to take some work and some discipleship and, and I'll be talking about how church is also a sanctifying process going to take some work. We're going to get there. But commit yourself. Not to me, not to just this organization, but commit yourself to the work of the Lord beginning in your life. Commit yourself to the Lord discipling you through people, through teachers and leaders to make you into world changers and sons and daughters of the king, allow yourself to go through the incubating process. We give you all the glory, Lord, and we know that you're going to do your work. We trust you. We trust you. We give you all the praise, glory. We dedicate this temple, dedicate our hearts. We're excited for this coming year of open doors, new beginnings, new opportunities. We just believe, believe, um, through the valleys, there's always the next mountain we're going to climb. You don't ever stay just permanently in the valley. There's a mountain, a hill that we're going to climb. And we'll see what was that valley was all about. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise. Let's give him glory. 
Let's give him praise.